Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. That was the bit that I learned very early on was the secret really, is how do you get different departments who all see their roles differently to work together as a team to one common goal and how your communication and your persuasive skills have to adapt. That first 12 months I was looking back, you know, I could have quite easily failed. Thankfully, I didn't. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Nigel Hurley. Nigel is the CEO of CarShop, the UK's leading used car supermarket. After beginning his career as a trainee sales executive in the automotive industry, Nigel learnt the ropes and worked hard to achieve a leadership role. Nigel joins us today to share his insight as a leader and a human CEO. So thank you for joining us today, Nigel. It's great to have you with us. Amy, thank you for the invitation. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. So can you tell us a little bit about CarShop as an organisation and, and what you're working towards, please? Yeah, of course. Well, CarShop um, is owned by the Sitna Group, which some people may be familiar with. And ultimately, we're owned by a company called Pen, um, Penske Automotive Group, which is an American-owned company. Um, we are an omni-channel used car retailer. Uh, so we operate fully online. Uh, if you want to buy a car or, you know, come and see it in store or a combination of everything. So a true omni-channel uh, used car retailer. We've currently got uh, 13 locations across the UK. Uh, we open up our 13th location in Wolverhampton uh, on the 1st of October. And we've got a couple more to open up before the end of the year. So we'll be up to 15 locations in the UK. Uh, we uh, employ about 1,600 colleagues in the Mm -hmm. team and we specialize in vehicles typically between two and eight years old all makes uh price range you know sort of sub 20 but we do have cars you know below 30 as well um we currently stock around eight thousand cars online um and we'll sell around sixty thousand cars a year so proper uh a proper used car you know they call them supermarkets i don't like to call them supermarkets but uh superstores and we've got you know in a typical superstore um you know our biggest superstore we've got two really big ones but one in wakefield one in northampton Mm -hmm. they will typically stock around 800 cars on their forecourt and they'll sell around eight 100 cars a month you know, so uh, pretty pretty serious operations, really. Um, I suppose the most exciting project that we've just launched in May of this year, uh, which was which was what we've learned out of our lockdown uh, period, really, with COVID, was the number of customers that were willing to buy a car, a used car in particular, online without having you know driven the car in the first place or been yeah. to the car and traditionally kicked its tires and <laughs> walked around the car. So we, we opened, I mean, we were inspired by what we learned last year. Um, and so we, we, we opened up our first, what we call an express store uh, in May of this year in Leicester. And if I, if I describe to you what we would normally have done, then I'll explain to you what we did with Leicester Express. But typically, our last store that we opened, our big store was in Nottingham. And that's a store that sat on six acres of land, you know, uh, huge facility with a rent and rates around 1.1 million pound a year, yeah. employing 75 people. And this Leicester Express store that we've opened is 15,000 square feet of building on less than an acre with no cars in stock and 10 people working from the store. Uh-huh. Uh, 
and it's a it's basically it's an online digital showroom where customers buy, buy a car online or come and see us in store then we, we 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 help them buy a car online and then we bring the car to the location for a handover um and that's been so successful we're about to open our second one in Leighton buzzard uh, on the on the 15th of this month fantastic and was that born purely off the back of, of covid and lockdown totally. yeah totally because i think had we not had we not been forced to behave very differently through that period, yeah. I think we would have quite happily done what we always did. You yeah, know, because yeah. what we always did was successful. But sometimes, you know, when you're pushed into a corner where you have to think differently, you know, different solutions come out and it inspires you to go in slightly different directions. So mm. I think going forward, what was our original growth plan that we'd written? We'd written a sort of three to four year growth plan uh, 18 months ago I think the shape of that has now changed uh, whereas it would have been you know six, six, uh, uh, a series of what we'd class now as a superstore yeah. we've now got a combination of superstores and express stores which will use the footprint across the UK fantastic fantastic and so as the leader of that kind of organization that's really you know diversified throughout COVID what, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment as a leader? Uh, well, as a leader, I suppose it's, you know, we, we have we have the, the challenges around what's happening in the environment that you're working in. So yeah. if I think about the used car market and the motor trade today, the biggest challenges we face is the lack of new car supply, which has a direct knock-on effect on the lack of party exchanges and used cars in the market. So yeah. right here, right now, you know, the challenges that we're facing, you know, if you think about, think about the last 18 months, it's been... It's been a whirlwind of change in the used car market, you know. So we've gone through, we've gone through COVID and all that that brought to operating, you know, a business. Yeah. Um, and then we've moved into a scenario where there are lack of used cars coming into the market. So the challenge facing us today is acquiring sufficient stock to supply the demand that's out there in front of us. Okay. Um, and I suppose the danger of not doing so is that you strangle your growth aspirations because you know you it's easy to buy a facility and it's easy to employ people generally mm. what's sort of not so easy is to locate the right stock that you want to then sell to your customers so right, right here right now it's about acquisition you know but every day i suppose regardless of you know those kind of things that happen from time to time like covid and the used car market mm -hmm. the challenges we face are usually around about people okay. you know it's normally around you know recruiting retaining talent within the team uh, and getting the best out you know helping those people to be the best they can be and getting the best out of them so that's an ongoing never-ending challenge i suppose yeah and i suppose while the business is changing i suppose your people strategy has changed if you don't need as many people on the forecourts because the forecourt forecourts don't exist because yeah. you have down the express it, model it, that that that's we haven't necessarily shrunken the number of people that are employed. I suppose what we have done with the new stores in Express, we've employed less people, mm -hmm. you know, so we definitely, from a growth point of view, instead of employing 70, we've employed 10, yeah. you know, and when we open our Leighton Buzzard store, that'll add a further six. So it's definitely changed the shape of forward, forward growth in mm -hmm. terms of the number of people we need. But I think the hardest thing we've had to manage through, and again, COVID brought this, is how we interact with our customers in a online environment things like what we're doing today you know talking mm -hmm. on zoom you know is a great example of i don't think had we gone through covid i don't think as a manager i would have spent any time on zoom i would have been quite happily jumping in my car at you know silly o'clock in the morning and yeah. uh, you know spending spending a lot of time on the road moving between stores but 
I think what we've had to adapt to is is how do we communicate with our customers in a in a different way, in a different environment. The best example I can give of that is uh, finance products. So when you're buying a car and nearly half our customers fund their car with us, you know, it's explaining the technicalities, the funding possibilities that are available to them. Mm-hmm. And typically that would have been done over the phone or face-to-face in a, in a showroom. Yep. Whereas now, because we've got Zoom and Teams, um, we've had to adapt to that. But more so, we've had to help our customers adapt to that because some of our customers that we talk to have never used Zoom, you know, never yeah. used never use teams so yeah, we yeah. we take it for granted that we've got to adapt but we've got to help our customers adapt at the same time so they can interact with us in a more in a more fruitful experience kind of way yeah yeah i suppose it increases the convenience as well doesn't it that you're not waiting for them to be able to get into a showroom so your transactions can be quicker Is that yeah to- t- totally and again that's been a spin-off of of, uh, of 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 where we've been and i think if i look back at one of the criticisms that, that I could label on ourselves in terms of the old way in which we did business was we pride ourselves in being able to supply you the same car on the same day. So if you came and bought a car from us in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, the same day you could have that car on your drive at home, which sounds brilliant, doesn't it? And it, and it is. Uh-huh. The downside is we have so many elements of paperwork that has to be processed that that can take four hours. Right. And I think then for it's the, ex- the experience in store can be quite fatiguing. However, now we're operating in a different way. We can break down some of that admin and some of that some of that work online before the customer visits the showroom. And if you take our express store in Leicester, everything is done for you before you turn up to the store. And you turn up to the store with the only one thing to do, and that is to pay. So you don't pay, but you do everything apart from pay. And then at the point where you see the car, you pay and you drive away and you're, you're out of the showroom within 45 minutes, which is a nice experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. And, and so in terms of your journey into leadership then, so I was having a little look at your, obviously looking at your LinkedIn profile. So from Chesterfield Boys straight into the automotive industry, pretty much. Was yeah. That, was the plan to, to have a leadership role? Was that <laughs> no, where want, you were headed? <laughs> no, I wanted to be a footballer. And ah. <laughs> that was my... That was my that was my dream, and I wasn't good enough. So I remember going uh, for, for people, you, maybe even yourself included, you won't remember this. But back back in 1983 was when when I was at the point where I could have left school. I was 16 years old, and I was at that point where I was going to leave school, um, mm-hmm. or I was going to go and study A levels. And I really wanted to leave school uh, at the time. And my, my so mum and dad said, look, you know. If you can get yourself a good job, you can leave. And if you don't get yourself a good job, you're going back to school. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to be a footballer. I'd seen on Calendar News, which is a good <laughs> local Yorkshire TV programme, that they were doing a YTS programme at um, at the job centre for uh, boys that could study to be an apprentice for Chesterfield Football Club. And so I, I went along and I didn't, uh, my name wasn't on the list. But while I was there, there was a wonderful woman that was in the job centre that sort of um, helped me apply for a job as a trainee car salesperson at a local mm-hmm. VW and Audi business in Chesterfield. And I was fortunate enough to get that job at, at 16. And I joined I joined as a trainee uh, car salesperson back in August of 83. Um, and the trainee, I suppose I have to tell you what that job really meant. You know, on paper, it was a trainee car salesperson. But the truth of it was I was valeting 
cars every day. I was out on the pitch every morning cleaning the pitch cars. Then one salesman would say to me, oh, while you're out there, will you clean my car? And then, of course, everybody else would get jealous that their car's getting cleaned. So I'd, I ended up spending most of my time, probably 80% of my working day, cleaning cars, which uh, I actually did quite enjoy. And it was a good grounding for me, I think, at the time. But, yeah, a long, long, long time ago. Right. And, and so how did it happen that you became CEO? Was it just that you had the passion for the industry? People followed you? Well, no, I think, I think, I think, I think, Looking back, I suppose, uh, at my career, I, I never never saw CEO as being something that was probably something that was in me. You know, at the time when I joined the motor industry, I suppose my first goal was to be a salesperson. You know, you almost, you sort of take your steps, don't you? And I think uh-huh. there, was a point, there was a point when I was a salesperson. So my ultimate first goal was, can, can I enjoy this industry? Can I actually make it to being a salesperson? And then I think when... When I eventually did that, and I got the chance to start selling cars properly 18 months after I started, so I had an 18-month sort of trainee program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think after about a couple of years of selling, when I realised that I enjoyed it um, and I enjoyed the motor trade, I suppose then you start to set your, dream, your dreams, start to sort of get get formed. And I think ultimately being the head of business, well, they used to call them dealer principals at the time, but being the head of business, which was the store manager, Mm-hmm. you know was was the vision and the goal that i think at that point i remember having thinking one day i'd love i'd love to run run a business and i got the opportunity to do that uh, i was very lucky actually i think when people look back in their careers you can count luck and opportunity and you know i suppose a, an ambition you put those things together and sometimes you get the, the right opportunity at the right time but I, yeah. I was very lucky at the age of 27 to um, be able to run my first business in Nottingham, which was a Land Rover and Porsche dealership. And I think yeah. it was a matter of right time, right place, and too soon. I had all those right. things together, and yeah. I had a steep learning curve um, for about 12 months where I really wasn't very good at the job. Um, probably thought I was better than I really was, and I had to learn from my mistakes and realise, you know, how to how to run a business. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. about... It wasn't necessarily about the sort of financial side of it. It was more about engaging different departments in a way that they felt comfortable working as a team together. And I think that was the bit that I learned very early on was the secret, really, is how do you get different departments who all see their roles differently to work together as a team to one common goal and how your communication and your persuasive skills have to adapt. And I think I had that first 12 months I was looking back, you know, I could have quite easily failed. Thankfully, I didn't. Um, and I think I went on from strength to strength from there, really. I sort of ran, ran that Land Rover business for five years. And then I moved to a different organisation called Sitna Group uh, back in 1999 to run their BMW dealership in Sheffield. And the motivation at the time really was about, we just got a young family. My daughter was two. I was commuting to Nottingham every day and that was getting me down. And I think uh, I was right for a change. And BMW at the time really appealed to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I joined joined Sitna, ran their business for two years, and then <laughs> they asked me to go and run their Leicester business, which was even worse than working in Nottingham because <laughs> I was now travelling even further than it was before. But I think that was a springboard into uh, running the division, which, again, was a steep learning curve because I I had to look after, you know, 15 BMW and 15 mini sites, 2,200 mm. employees with a big responsibility. And, again, First 12 months was a sink or swim kind of experience. And uh, and then I did that for 15 years. And then two years ago, got the opportunity to to join Carshaw, which again, is still a sitting business, but mm-hmm. a different arm of the company. Um, 
and it's very different. And I got the chance to be CEO of, of this of this team, and and again, that's just brought you know different challenges to the table. And yeah. I'm you know 18 months, two years in, and still still getting to grips with it. I'm honest yeah. with you, but still yeah. smiling. <laughs> but still, always, yeah, always, yeah. you uh, always can smile. Yeah, brilliant. And so, uh, what characteristics? Would you say a great leader needs? Would you define a, a, a good leader in a particular way? Do you think there are specific characteristics? Well, look, I'm probably I'm probably thinking about other people when I describe you know leadership mm-hmm. um, because that's where I suppose I draw my 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 inspiration from. You know, whether it's reading books or whether it's observing the people that you work with over time. And I think back to the people that got the best out of me. You know, and the people that have got the worst out of me. Yeah. And I suppose that helps you form how you want to behave because I want, you know, to get the best out of people around me. And I'll, yeah. I don't want to be somebody that one day they look back and th- you know, think, like, well, he got the worst out of me. You know, I couldn't, he never, never found the right ways to communicate with me or to make me feel as if I could contribute. So I suppose I'm consciously always trying to behave with the people that I work with like I want to be worked with myself you know yeah. so I suppose it's you know I think the kind of things that I've learned have worked for me has been how you communicate how often you communicate um what kind how you how you help others to grow in their own space mm-hmm. and how you create an environment of learning where people feel comfortable to voice their honest opinions whether whether they think you're going to like the answer or the outcome or not but they feel comfortable that they can have an honest conversation with you that allows you to sort of stand back and, you know, work with them to either, you know, to either say, no, I don't agree with you or to go, well, actually, yeah, I didn't see it that way. And I do agree with you. Maybe there's a, there's a different way. So I think for me, when I think about leadership and I look at leaders who work with me and I've worked for and how I want to be myself, I suppose it's mm-hmm. good leaders create an environment where anybody can have a voice and the whole team can, you know, consider the, the 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 conversation that's taking place and together, you know, come up with a super plan as opposed to the plan of one person's, you know, ideas in, in the mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and so in terms of you mentioned briefly that you'd had experiences where somebody maybe hadn't got the best out of you and people where they had got the best out of you. Was there one experience or a piece of advice or something like that that helped shape your, your own leadership style? Well, in terms of negative or positive or both? Yeah, yeah, but either or, or both. <laughs> uh, well, I did have, you know, I did have uh, my harshest experience, probably I, I think back to my very early days where the manager that managed me at the time probably managed me in a way that was parent child okay you know and at the time i didn't realize it wasn't getting the best out of me but it was getting a result out of me mm-hmm. um and looking back you know that's an experience that probably i look back and think well, they probably could have got more out of me if it had treated me not in that parent child kind of environment um and i suppose you know i've worked for 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 managers that have have done the opposite of that you know have actually almost even though you know you're not equal you know and you know you're in a position of hierarchy where you sit beneath these people they communicate with you in a way where you feel you can you've got a voice and therefore you know and the, and there's no right or wrong you know and i think i think that allowed me to express myself in a different way and 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 probably learn at the same time in a in a different way so yeah 
without naming names, you know, that's probably... Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, we're but not yeah. super names. <laughs> but again, I think I, I, I did read a book. I was encouraged to read a book. I mean, I've read lots of books, but I was encouraged to read a specific book. Um, and it was a book that almost changed the way I thought and still does today. And I, I read The Seven Habits by yes. Dr. Stephen Covey. And <laughs> I must have read it, I don't know, I've probably read it 10 times and I've listened to the, you know, the, 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 the audio probably 20 times. And every time I read it or listen to it, I get something more from it. But I found that book quite inspirational, both in terms of home life and work life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and allowed me to put things into perspective myself about you know I think the bit in the in the book that there was two bits in the book that stand out for me in particular there was one which was begin with the end in mind where it talks about imagine you at your own funeral and you're looking down on the people in the room and within there you've got all your friends and your work colleagues and your and your and your, and your, and your family and they each stand up and talk about you as a parent or as a work colleague or as a boss and what kind of things do they say about you? And that quite that makes you think about, you know, <laughs> how you want to be seen. And the other the other the other bit that sticks in my mind is a story about um he's traveling on a train home from work and this guy gets on the train at this train station and his kids are being so unruly in the uh, in the carriage and he sat there thinking, I've got to say something. This guy's lost control of his kids and his kids are causing so much trouble. And he says to this guy, he says, Hey, he says can you, you know, can you sort your kids out? You know, they're causing mayhem in this carriage. And this guy said, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm just come from the hospital. The mother's passed away and I can't deal with it myself. And the kids, and I had a complete shift of, you know, emotion, you yeah. know, reading that. And so did this guy. And I, think, and I suppose what it teaches you is sometimes things aren't always what they seem. Yeah. yeah. And actually, you know, you've got to seek to understand before you can understand what's going on. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of those kind of things that, you know, I, I, I get some inspiration from and, and help me think about how I want to shape my my style of work. Fantastic. It is a great book. It's a really great. I, I feel the same way about you do. You take something from it every time you read it, don't you? Yeah. And, and so is there a piece of advice that you would offer to someone that's looking to follow in your footsteps, that's either about to take that step up into a leadership role or is right at the start of their career, but has their sights on a, a CEO position? I would say lay, lay good foundations, you know, um, integrity, honesty, um have got to be absolutely you know at the core of of, of, of who you are because mm-hmm. i think you know a boss that has good integrity that's got good morals um i think gets more out of people so i think yeah. lay lay good foundations don't be impatient good things come to those that wait you know be ambitious but don't be impatient and it's a little bit like snakes and ladders and i've seen people that have worked with me in the past that sometimes have jumped but what looked on the face of it like a, a ladder yeah. and ended up becoming a snake, you know, and, you know, great analogy. Ten, 10 years later, you know, they regret some of the sort of moves that they've made. So, yeah. you know, pick your moves wisely, be patient, you know, pick the right moves. Um, and if you, if you, if you, if you adopt a bit of a slow and steady kind of approach to your career, um, you know, sometimes that can be more fruitful than, you know, trying to get too far too quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And so penultimate question, is there one leader past or present that you particularly admire? And if so, why? Well, there's a guy whose book I read, Richard Branson, that after I'd read it, I want to go and work for him. So I suppose that that tells you something, you know, yeah. I suppose that's past and present. 
you know, I've read Elon Musk's book and I think that guy, you know, is a phenomenon uh, in terms of an individual. But, yeah, I think I think that I'm realistic, really. I'm probably, uh, you know, the, the, the guy that I work for at the moment, you know, ultimately, you know, I've got my, my boss in the UK and then our boss in the in the US is an inspirational guy and I put him up there with all the others, a guy called Roger Penske, uh, who owns or is a major shareholder in Penske Automotive Group. And I get chance to sort of be in his circle uh, from time to time and I have to say he he's probably up there with you know the people like in my mind Richard Branson that inspires you know inspires and leads and drives the business forward. Mm-hmm. Fantastic fantastic thank you for that and so final question then what's on the cards for the next six to twelve months for car shop? Oh, okay thank you well listen I suppose as I said earlier, you know, we've, we've, we've got our 14th store opening up on the 15th of September, Leighton Buzzard Express, which will be a small, uh, a small facility that we've, we've got down there. We open up uh, Wolverhampton um, store on the 1st of October. At the same time as a store, a Halifax Express uh, in October. Um, and then we open Cheltenham Express in January, hopefully, and then we've got another three big stores that are due to open next year, Camberley, Derby and Stoke. And our, our growth plan, um, our growth plan really is to double in size between now and 2024. So you know, we'll sell 55,000 cars in a normal year. You know, we're planning to sell 115,000 cars a year by, by 2024. Wow. Wow. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. Sounds like you're going to have your hands full. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that look. Thank you. I think, I think we'll, probably, we'll probably need it. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the goal anyway. Hopefully, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll go. We've got a plan. We have a plan. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, Nigel, I've really enjoyed speaking with you, so thank you for making the time. Well, it's lovely you to uh, invite me on. And, uh, yeah, likewise. Thank you, Amy.